Good evening. I'm Corey Morgan. Welcome to The Pipeline. This is the Western Standards Weekly News and Opinion Panel, where we go into our top stories, break them down, analyze them, tell you what to think about them, or at least suggest what to think about them. And, uh, well, and just get to the bottom of these issues. And there's so many going on all the time. We're going to get to those right away. I'm just going to start with reminding you of our sponsor. That's how we stay an independent news outlet, guys. And that sponsor is the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. If you have firearms, you want to get firearms, it doesn't matter why, whether you're a hunter, a target shooter, a collector, you got a government that's trying to take them away from you. They want to take away that right and ability to do so. And if you do not stand up for yourself, you will lose that right. The Canadian Shooting Sports Association is there for that. You've got to join them, though. You've got to be a member. There's safety in numbers. This way they can lobby on your behalf. They can stand up for you, and they will listen to you even when the government won't. Check them out. Their website's great. Lots of depth. Lots of resources. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Their website CSSA-CILA.org. Take out a membership. It's well worth the investment in yourself and your rights. All right, but we got so much to cover today. I want to get right to it. we got some stuff that's been breaking this may be a day later for some of the viewers there, but still, this has been breaking all morning here. Dave, we we have, uh, well, I should introduce you guys, Dave Naylor, our news editor, Nigel Hannaford, our opinion editor. I'm just so eager to get to things as they've been working up that uh, I'd forgotten. But everybody knows who you City guys are blood, already. Corey. It's as they say, you need no introduction. Exactly. <laughs> so we don't get one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, Corey, it looks like we had a terrorist attack at the uh, Canadian border crossing at in Buffalo, uh, the Rainbow Bridge, uh, Buffalo on one side, Niagara Falls on the other. We're still in the, the sort of fog of war trying to figure out what exactly happened, but it appears there was a, a car on the U.S. side uh, that was driving towards Canada. Uh, was flagged for further ex, uh, in, inspections and then uh, drove uh, headfirst into the, the customs building, exploding, uh, killing the two men inside and uh, in, injuring minor injuries to a, uh, an American uh, border official. Uh, U.S. officials immediately went on high alert. Uh, all the bridges were closed uh, from uh, uh, Ontario into, uh, uh, into New York State. Uh, the U.S. Joint Task Force officers took control of uh, of the bridges, and now the investigation is is, is well underway. Uh, where did these people come from? Who are they? What were they trying to do? Were they were they trying to blow up the uh, uh, the checkpoint, or were they trying to smuggle these explosives uh, into Canada and and do something nasty there? But a very very concerning development uh, uh, today, Corey. Yeah, well, and Nigel, I mean, it's so early right now, it's hard to speculate, but the potential repercussions of something like this are, are, are massive. I mean, a, a terrorist, if it was the case of something like that, even if it's an individual or a pair of individuals uh, crossing borders, potentially killing people, I mean, this could lead to a lot of uh, border issues and security for quite some time. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, production in the auto industry straddles the border. And the same car body will go backwards and forwards between plants in Detroit and Windsor, which is at the western end of Lake Erie. It's not here at the, we're not talking about, that's not where the incident happened. Mm -hmm. But when something like this does happen, then everybody gets scared. And all of a sudden, routine operations, like crossing the border with a truck full of car bodies, suddenly becomes more of an issue. And when these factories are working on a just-in-time basis, it's going to affect things. It's also going to affect 
hundreds of thousands of people who cross the border at uh, at the American Thanksgiving, and it's going to. Uh, there are quite a few Canadians who actually work in the United States, well, live on one side, work on the other. Uh, they too will be, I believe, it's very strong in the hospital profession down there. So uh, all of these things are affected. Two people blow themselves up. The damage, I mean, the damage looks considerable when you see that, but they'll fix that. Mm -hmm. It's one lane out of several that, that accommodate traffic. Um, the, 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 the success of this operation, if you want to call it that, is the fear and confusion that it sows into every other border crossing in that part of the world. And frankly, for all we know, in this part of the world as well. Exactly. And it's, uh, the border security has been an issue for a while now. The U.S. southern border is, uh, is basically a, a free-for-all. Uh -huh. The Americans have increased their complaints uh, about the northern border with a number of, uh, you know, nasty people that are crossing from Canada into the United States. So which, whichever way it goes, it's, it, it's going to increase border anxiety. Uh, if these people were found to be illegal immigrants in the United States, uh -huh. that's going to put the pressure up on President Biden uh, to do something about it. And, Corey, you may remember about a, a week or so ago, there were reports that the, gun, the uh, government of uh, Great Britain uh, warned Canada that they were due for a, a terrorist attack. And our Canadian government kind of just sloughed it off. And a week or so later, here we are. So... Well, I guess we know. Again, to remind everybody, go to westernstandard.news to keep on the updates. We're putting them up as fast as they happen and, and every news story and, and things such as that. We'll, we'll continue to report on it as it unfolds. I think in a case like this, the best we can hope for is just it happened to be two lunatics independent of anything else and, and it's sort of taken care of itself and it's not a something of a wider effort going on. Yeah, hopefully they haven't taped a pro-Hamas uh, message before getting into their vehicle. Yeah, to, to your last point, the, about the, the terrorists coming from Canada, it does appear that this vehicle originated on the south, like on the American side of the border. So I would, um, you know, yes, the Canadians were warned by the British, but maybe this isn't actually what they were being warned about because this, we don't know yet, but this no. may have had an entirely domestic origin within the U.S. or it may be, as you say, a somebody who snuck across the southern border and decided to, to have a go. But what was it, you also mentioned that, and I believe I overheard this earlier on the reports, there's something like 500 uh, nasties who entered the United States and 450 of them were classified as having come from Canada. Yes. So we do not have a good reputation. No, and this, the, the, even if it didn't come from Canada, this is gonna increase calls from American law uh, people and elected officials to, to increase it because, yeah, uh, they have, uh, governments in the United States have expressed high concerns about the number of people crossing illegally into the United States from Canada. I bet. There'll be more scrutiny. I, I used to have to cross that border to, when I'd drive down to work in northern Pennsylvania and that you could cut across down to, through Bradford oh. and north of Pittsburgh. But uh, that was a long crossing if you hit it at the wrong time and, and with increased scrutiny, I, I can only imagine. As you said, there's an economic cost that comes with these things and, and, uh, and fear. But, well, I guess we'll watch and wait and, and hope for the best. All right, well, let's get on to another disaster, and that's the federal <laughs> economic uh, update. Very uh, nice segue, Corey. Yes. Nice Christia Freeland's Hair of the Dog economic update. And uh, 
I guess we're going to pull our, our Sean Polzer in to uh, lay out a little bit of what's going on and with our friends in Ottawa. Hi, Sean. How you doing? Good, thanks. How are you guys? All right. Doing all right. So so uh, have they bounced the budget yet? Oh, I don't think they ever had. <laughs> That's the one thing that they um, have a perfect record on is racking up deficits ever since they were elected in 2015. After inheriting a, a balanced budget, mind you, and Nigel probably knows more about that than I do. You tried hard, and we got one. So, so what are some of the highlights, though, of that budget, Sean? I mean, are there any successes they can point at? I know they're going to try to, but, uh, you know, w- what is it telling us from, from this latest, I guess, snapshot of where the finances are sitting right now? Well, I had a hard time uh, trying to find out uh, any one success. If you call kind of managing uh, the deficit and holding the line on it at around uh, $40 billion a success, but uh, the one thing that struck me the most was uh, the actual cost of servicing the accumulative deficit, partly as a result of uh, the policies from their own Bank of Canada, where interest rates have basically quadrupled in about a year and a half. So that's putting a lot of pressure on uh, Minister Freeland to uh, not only try to find these new dollars for these priority areas, like housing and their environmental causes that uh, liberals like, but also to actually pay for it. So uh, one of the numbers that struck out at me is that it's going to cost about $46.5 billion this year alone just to service the debt. So uh, it becomes the, the largest single line item in the budget. And that number is going to rise up to over $60 billion by 28-29 fiscal year. And to put that into perspective, Canada spends about $28.5 billion on the military a year. So we're talking we could have triple the size of the army that we have now, meet our NATO commitments and do all these things that the Liberals have promised to do if they had just managed to uh, be a little more uh, disciplined fiscally and show some fiscal restraint. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, Dave, yeah, I mean, we know from our household budgets, there's nothing <clears throat> galls me more, pains me than interest payments. It's just flushed money. I mean, we borrow money. It's kind of a necessity of modern financing, but you want to minimize when you can. And when, when we're sending more on interest payments out to the, than our entire military budget, I mean, yeah. what, what a waste. 10 cents on every dollar now going to pay the, uh, uh, to pay the, the interest. I think it's now time, gentlemen, that we three apologize to our children for screwing their future uh, by running up such a debt. And these, these uh, debt repayments that are going to have to be made is going to be crippling for many, many years to come. I think the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has got a separate division. What are they called? Generation Screwed, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's that's their message. Um, yeah, we could apologize, but you know, wouldn't it be a hell of a lot better to just fix it? Well, you know, the, the impetus, I mean, we would remember, though, the last time budgets got balanced within Canada and moved along, even Romanow and NDP, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Premier managed to balance the budget, though, was the interest payments were driving Canadians so bananas in the 90s. I mean, the interest rates were higher then, too. But all of these debts, I mean, people were seeing those numbers and they were floored. Like, that does motivate, well, responsible politicians, what we got Freeland. Well, we saw, saw Freeland uh, lambasting uh, Pierre Polyev, saying all conservative talk about is austerity, austerity. You know, Canadians don't want austerity. Well, I'm sorry, madam, but I think maybe some of us do, and I think maybe it's time all of us did. If that is the case, then it's something we've learned in the last eight years, because let me remind you of one thing. In the 2015 election, 
we had the balanced budget, and we campaigned, we being the conservatives, on keeping it that way, maintaining a balanced budget, running a tight ship. You know who else campaigned on that? The NDP. <laughs> okay? So the conservatives and the NDP were together on tight fiscal policy, good governance, not borrowing your way through life. It was the liberals who actually promised that they would borrow money for three years and then balance the budget in the fourth. And people voted for that. And it wasn't just our generation that did so. It was actually the younger generation that swept Mr. Trudeau into power. So while I actually sort of get what you're saying about the, uh, the, the generation screwed and we kind of owe them an apology and sort of thing, yes, but they actually have their own burden to bear in this. They voted for this guy. And the polls are now showing they've changed their mind. And boy, how about that? How about that, eh? Yes. They are. Well, before I let Sean go then, I mean, business and energy is your beat, though. Did you see much within that update, you know, uh, reflecting on how it might impact that or how dependent they might be on energy revenues? Like, what, what did you see in there? Well, uh, <laughs> it's funny because uh, unlike uh, the present prime minister's father, He's not trying to steal our money. He's, he's basically trying to leave it in the ground. So, no, there wasn't uh, very much on uh, energy specifically or any kind of uh, revenues or investment kind of things that they could potentially use to maybe offset some of that deficit. But uh, there was some mention of um, carbon credit taxes for these um, carbon capture projects. These are big billion-dollar projects, and uh, they've been promising some uh, legislation to uh, put through these uh, tax credits that they've identified in previous budgets, uh, but they haven't done so yet. And so that is apparently coming in the fall. I would imagine there's only six weeks left <laughs> in the fall um, where they're going to promise uh, some guidelines on uh, these investment tax credits. But I would kind of note that they were rolled in with a big, uh, larger suite of, um, you know, their pet, clean electricity uh, policies and that uh, somehow it looked to me that it was almost like a negotiating ploy. Um, as you know, the federal government and the provincial government, Alberta government, are uh, at the <laughs> energy round tables where they're supposed to be uh, negotiating some of these clean energy regulations and uh, emissions caps and whatnot. Um, Jabot has taken a very hard line, but uh, Minister Wilkinson has said that these are only starting points. And it seems to me that what we're seeing is the beginnings of uh, a federal opening uh, gambit, if you will, on uh, some of these uh, energy issues that they've been having with uh, Premier Smith. Well, it's hope some economic pragmatism and reality squeaks in there from somewhere. I, I know not every liberal on the seats is, is in economically, economically inept, but uh, they, they sure seem quiet these days. Is there anything else you'd add, like to add before we let you go then, Sean? Well, the other uh, sneaker was uh, the media bailout. Uh, they're uh, adding another $130 million onto that. Uh, I think it was $595 million pot to uh, bail out the legacy media. And it, it was buried fairly deep in the document. You had to kind of look for it. Uh, and there was about three little paragraphs um, about uh, not only expanding the program, but extending it, uh, it seems to me, indefinitely. And uh, so that was a bit of an issue in the newsroom for us as well. Well, absolutely. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that further. So uh, I'll, I'll let you get back to your, uh, your tasks there and keeping up with all that. And I appreciate you checking in with us today, Sean. Thanks a lot, guys.
place. So that was our Sean Paulzer. And yes, you go to the westernstandard.news to see more of his stories out there. He covers a lot of this this beat quite well. And these interest payments. You know, it's one thing that gets me to the left where they feel that deficit financing is okay and borrowing is okay, yet they always love to swipe at big business and big corporations. I don't think it's mom and pop corner store lenders that are uh, taking these interest payments. I'm pretty sure it's big business, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I mean, these, these, as we said, they're budget updates, they're snapshots, uh, you know, they don't pack too much in, but we read what we can into it. It looks, I mean, they got a bleak picture to work with here. Yeah, so, but it's their fault they got a bleak picture to absolutely. work with. You know, it's, it's like watch, trying to watch an alcoholic solve their own problems, you know. Yeah, uh, drink your way through it. Can, but just, boy, that's, uh, this is like, we, we call it the hair of the dog budget yeah. because that's, it got, we got into this mess by borrowing too much money. Now she's borrowing more to fix. Well, that's the infuriating thing, too. I mean, it shows the economic illiteracy or deception, one of the two, probably a bit of both. When she gets up there and says, we're going to battle inflation. We're going to keep your cost of living down. And by doing that, to do that, we're going to borrow and print a whole pile of money. Yeah. Either they're denying that that causes inflation or they really actually don't know it. And all their big money announcements for housing, and there is a housing crisis in this country, don't start until 2025, 26. So they're doing nothing at the moment for it. Oh, well, it's so, not a good on the day, isn't it? Yes. And until you read the fine print, it's not a budget thing as well. But I mean, if they want to take pressure off housing, we're starting to see reports saying as much as well. They need to cut the immigration a little bit, but they won't talk that. Actually, uh, you, you do a bit of Airbnb, don't you? Yes, we do. Well, what does this? What does her update mean for you? I don't believe it's going to impact us because we are in a rural area and it's part of a house we reside in. What they're going after with it are people who have standalone properties that they're uh, letting out on, on Airbnb. And, you know, if, it's, if you own four houses, you use Airbnb to make more money out of them, things like that. But I think, I think Jane might correct me on that, uh, we, that we don't fall under that. But it, it, it's... Uh, there they go, after a small businessman again. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. and, and and it won't solve the housing problems. And, and if anything, uh, when, when you look at that, if somebody has one property, they rent it, they say, well, fine, you know what, I'm out. I'm just going to sell it then. And uh, the high price, now you have one, you know, with, with much, such a much larger crisis in housing, it, it, it's just a drop in the bucket. They're just looking for villains to point at. Right. So it must be those Airbnb. And we should know for the record, the Conservatives are going to vote nay, and the NDP lapdogs are going to vote aye. Oh, <laughs> no quick election. No, no, we can't expect that. All right, well, let's go uh, closer to home, get into Alberta. We get an interesting announcement. Dave, you know, it looks like we might have uh, more options for healthcare. Provision. We do, but do we want to talk about the media bailout of the, uh, oh, the well, economic I'm just looking budget? in the order we got going things here. Okay, fair We've enough. Got to yes. be able to move and go on the flow. So. I mean, so, I mean, I noticed the headline is more money for our competitors because it is a self-serving headline because we're ticked off. But rightly so. I think most Canadians should be with this whole uh, ongoing bailout of, of media. Yeah, another another hundred and twenty nine million to the failing legacy media. And I'll just just read you a couple of tweets here from people who know what they're talking about. The the first being uh, Michael Geist, uh, government now bailing out Canadian news outlets because of the disastrous bill C eighteen. It will now cover thirty five percent of a reporter's wages, uh, from fifty five thousand to eighty five thousand dollars a year, and made they made it retroactive to the beginning of the year. In response, Peter Menzies, a uh, former Calgary Sun sports editor, a former Calgary Herald publisher, a former CRTC 
vice chair tweeted, the government has essentially nationalized most of Can the nation. The government has nationalized most of Canada's media. This is a huge win for the hedge fund and a big blow to those who refuse the loot. That would be us. Most journals can now thank Justin Trudeau for their paychecks. It's done. It's, uh, I mean, does everybody understand about the hedge funds? Not necessarily. Maybe expand on it. Well, that's the major news companies are, are no, owned by hedge funds based in the United States. So we think we're saving our democracy. We think we're keeping jobs for Canadian journalists. Well, I guess we are. But um, the boys are actually whose investment is being protected here are not even Canadians. No, it's not small local outlets we're talking about. These these are big fund owners who really are quite indifferent to the news content or any principles of, of journalism or getting anything out. They, it's just a hedge yeah, they're, they're the ones that have hemorrhaged staff from the uh, from the uh, the newsrooms of the country over the years mm -hmm. to they're they're now basically barely existing. Well, and, and just to tie it to another recent issue, this is the way it works with these subsidies too. They claim it's for domestic jobs. They always do and things like that, but it rarely works that way. The layoffs are going to continue. The the ostensible merger between the Sun and the Herald as if it was going to make things better didn't make two entities. It just made one ugly one. Uh, and like the, the battery plant, we find out, you know, we're going to get billions for batteries, but we're going to bring in South Korean staff to work there. Uh, so this is one way of making the news, uh, the newsrooms a little more culturally diverse. Is that what you're? Is this where you're going with this? It's just going to be a South Korean. Well, we are taking the subsidy, but somebody else different on the panel next week uh, with a kimchi report. And uh, I like kimchi, but that's a side note. We got to get a food show on here. So. We do. Well, we do have Josh Andrus, our chief food that's correspondent. That's true. He, he has covered he, a few. He's things. covered a few things. Well, you've been on the road with him, I oh, think. I, yeah, I had uh, some of those panels. I don't mind covering from out there. He needs to be in preparing it on camera. Exactly. One of those shows where everybody gets a bite to eat. Exactly. And then you got to pretend you like it, or not, or not. But I mean, this is bad for me. It, it is just bad. I, I, well, I mean, I mean it, it came out the same week. I noticed Corey that uh, the uh, trust in, in news media. Has hit an all-time low, yeah. and then bang, this comes out, and it's now, you know, as Peter says, uh, the journalists, the journalists can thank Trudeau for their 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 paycheck and every two weeks, yeah. and they will okay. do so by by um, not reporting bad things on it. Like when the most ridiculous headline I've seen this week was CBC uh, talking about the South Koreans coming to uh, Ontario to build the uh, EV plant, and he blames Stephen Harper. CBC blamed Stephen Harper because Stephen Harper signed a free trade deal with South Korea back in 2010. I mean, that's I mean that's just one of the more blatant examples of the Trudeau uh, ass kissing. But uh, well, you know, if you want to talk about bad headlines, there was that other one reporting on that unfortunate Winnipeg woman who died in uh, in Israel, and they reported yes. that she died as if she had just sort of fallen asleep in her bed when in actual fact she was a, a victim of terrorism. CBC mm. won't even call Hamas terrorists. So what exactly? CTV in fairness that, uh, that blew the, uh, the, the poor lady headline. Yeah, yeah. the CBC won't call them uh, terrorists, terrorists as well. And something interesting, of, uh, I was driving this morning, I, I was listening to a, a radio host based out of Edmonton. And he referred to October 7th as being an activity carried out by Hamas militants. The, the word terrorism is getting dropped from the other newsrooms yeah. too. I mean, we expect it from the state broadcaster. 
because we've never expected much out of the CBC. But this is chorus entertainment. Like, why is this uh, liberal my, language going into every uh, outlet? Mark my words, by 24 hours from this very moment, that incident in Buffalo will be put down to bad driving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it'll be because Harper changed some standards somewhere yeah, on the, the drivers. Uh, and it goes right along with the, you know, the, the lessening of responsibility to Hamas goes right along with the, the increased anti-Semitism uh, being felt across North America. Well, I mean, I, 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 th I think these are the kinds of reasons that are destroying the credibility of the mainstream media. I have actual, I have to admit that I have seen some good investigative reporting coming out of all places, the CBC. We have picked up on some of those stories. We have credited their sources, but they are so rare. That's the problem. And when people, it doesn't really matter how much the federal government now subsidizes our industry. People know it's subsidized, so oh, yeah. they think it's bought and paid for. The trust gets and there lost. goes the trust. And, and there are some good journalists in all of the outlets and papers still out there. I mean, a lot, but they're going to keep their heads down. A lot of them, the reason they're still there is they got bills to pay too. They got okay. family to feed and it's just, well, I don't know what else I can do. But the editor told me, don't shake that tree because, uh, you know, we've gotten some uh, veiled, you know, warnings from our bureaucrats in Ottawa for our next subsidy dive that uh, we might not see. Because you know that's going to happen. With Polyev uh, soaring and Trudeau tanking in the polls, how worried do you think CBC staff are? Because uh, they, you know, if they get... Uh He's been gonna... sticking quite outright to saying he's going to defund the CBC. So, mm. But it was part of what Menzies pointed out in, in his piece as well was, aside from the straight $1.4 given to the CBC every year out of the taxpayers' pockets, they steal, and I, I say it that way, because if you're subsidized that much and you're selling advertising on top of it, in my view, you're stealing advertising dollars from the private market. If they would just even get out of the advertising business, that would open up $400 million a year in advertising for other outlets to pursue and, and try to get contracts for. But they won't do that either. No. no. And we'd happily accept some of that money. Mm -hmm. Well, it's honest money. It's from not advertising. We have to go to the advertiser and yeah, say, hey, exactly. this is what we're offering. Mm -hmm. You know, the old form of an exchange of services for money. But now it's it's between politicians and media. And as I said, the trust gets broken further. So even good stories, people look at them with a, a jaded eye. They're not sure about this. And, and uh, it's just a bad development all around. And uh, the timing, too. I noticed that they make sure that this 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 will be up for renewal after the next election. Yes. <laughs> no coincidence there. Okay, well, what else can we cover? We can afford to cover things around here still for now. Anyways... Let me get back to where I was going. Before was, you were so rudely interrupted. Yes, yes. The nurse uh, practitioner. Nurse practitioner. Yes, yes Steve. Big, uh, big interesting news in Alberta this morning, Corey, where Premier Smith and Health Minister LaGrange announced that uh, licensed practical nurses will be able to open their own clinics and offer services. Now, the way I understand it, Nigel, and you may know better than me, you, you've got the, regist the registered nurses at one level, and then the licensed practitioners the practical nurses are at another level, and then, then you get doctors. And apparently the, the licensed practical uh, nurses can do 80% of what a doctor can do. Well, that's what Daniel Smith's uh, that's what Daniel yeah. That's what Daniel Smith's news release says. So, so if they, the, I know the, the rural people are very happy with this because if they get some nurse practitioners opening up in their, in their communities, that's going to take a lot, of, a lot of pressure off. But as usual, Corey the, uh, and, uh, and uh, Nigel, there'll be 
you know, the NDP is probably already screaming about it. Some unions are probably already screaming about it. But uh, to me, it seems like a good idea. Well, it, it sort of is and it isn't. Uh, um, on the principle that half a loaf is better than no bread, if you are in a location or if you're in a situation where you do not have, if you're not registered with a general practitioner and a nurse practitioner will put you on her books. Or his. Are there male nurse practitioners? <laughs> I, well, I got to do my politically correct part. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's so like you, Corey. Yes, be uh, politically correct. Always. Um, at any rate, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and I say that uh, if eighty if they are eighty percent, they are predominantly. They are predominantly. If you if you can get one to take you, Corey. Yes. And you can't get on the list for a general practitioner of either sex. You're gonna do that. Because that's your best hope if something happens at short notice and you've got to get in and you've got to see somebody now. I mean, the, 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 the illustration you always, we always think of is all of us who've had children is it's 11 o'clock night, the baby won't go to sleep, seems like it's got colic, but just will not settle, it's bawling and wailing, and your wife is just about ready to, you know, bawl and wail herself. That's the time when you finally take the child down to emergency and they, two things happen. They give the child a, a pill and they reassure you that they're not going to die. It's going to be okay. And if you talk to doctors, you talk to medical practitioners, you talk to nurse practitioners or, 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 or anybody, so much time in medicine is taken up with managing patient anxiety. There's no reason, to your point, why a nurse practitioner can't do that very well. My hesitation is that, first of all, I don't think the savings that the government is looking for is necessarily gonna come from that, but much more to the point is that the, the sort of the training regime of the nurse practitioner includes a lot of things that are, how can I put it, touchy-feely. And you're there with something that is an unusual condition. Like who sees malaria these days? Present in a small town in Southern Alberta with a case of malaria that you picked up when you were overseas. You don't even know you've got it. You just know you feel terrible. Are they going to know you've got malaria? I don't know. Maybe they will, but a doctor uh, might not either. Though I, well, I mean, yeah, doctors. Are, well, that's the thing. That's the difference in the training. Yeah. The doctors get that stuff. Because I'd rather, for example, the nurse looks with the the crying baby and gives the baby Tylenol and assures the mother you're you're not a bad person. You're not a bad person. You're uh, going to be perfectly fine, and, and sends them on their way. In the meantime, the emergency doctor who would have been tied up can deal with setting that broken arm from somebody who came in. And I'd like to think a lot of, the, I mean, there's competency levels of doctors and, and nurse practitioners that are all sorts of areas, but if you got guidelines, hopefully they would exercise judgment, you know, oh, that rash there, okay, we'll prescribe you a steroid cream, you know, or somebody drops their passage, <laughs> that's not supposed to be growing there. Okay, you got to go see a doctor. That's outside of my uh -huh. scope. Yeah. And it, it could be a referral. I mean, look at it as a, as a form of triage even, you know, if people understand too, you're not going to a full medical practitioner, you're going to somebody who can deal with that first level of treatment, I, I think you can really take pressure off. Might not save money, but part of our issue isn't so much the money necessarily, it's the fact that we're waiting so long to get in to be seen. 
Yeah. And I don't, when my kids had colic, I just gave them a soother dipped in scotch and they were out like a yeah, oh, that's a one thing that we should well, one thing that we should talk about it is is the funding. You did mention it. Uh, question was asked today, you know, if they can do eighty percent of what a doctor does, are they gonna get paid eighty percent of the doctor's wages? And uh, the the funding is still in negotiation. Mm-hmm. So as you say, how much they're gonna save or how much it's gonna cost is still up uh, up to be determined. Yeah, well, I'm just happy to see some thinking outside of the box exactly, too. That we've yes. been in a status quo with healthcare forever, and you know, we're spending more and more and more. Nobody, despite what the howls of unions claims, nobody's been cutting health spending for years and years. And the outcomes are getting worse. The waiting lists are getting longer. I mean, we need to try something. And Premier Smith has shown the courage to say, "Here is a potential solution." As you said, maybe mm-hmm. it may not work out, but I see a whole lot of good potential in here, and she's willing to bring on the wrath of the nurses unions and uh, possibly the uh, health lawyers and, you know, and, and say, let's, let's give this a try. I'm not sure that the, I I mean, I'm sure the unions will, will make a fest just to, but deep down, this is something that uh, nurses have been pushing for, for a very, very long time. And it has to do with status and professional recognition. Um, you know, they're very well-trained professionals. They, they can cover a lot of medical. That's right. Work. If they can cover 80%, that, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, right. I, I think of other things. For example, I pay out of pocket to get my driver's license renewed every two years. I have to get a, a medical exam because I'm a class four. Uh-huh. Fine. And I pay my, my dollars for that. So it doesn't cost the system in dollars, but it still takes up the time. I have to have a physician, you know, take my blood pressure, check actually usually a nurse who does all that anyways it's a a five minute quick thing with the physician and, it, and it's a nurse who takes care of all the rest anyways we can free up that five minutes even to the physician on what is pretty much just kind of a routine checkup uh and again theoretically dedicate that you know physician to something that may be more pressing well, you, know, you need to go out to springbank get get it done at the airport there then you're right outside the system altogether go see brendan adams We'll talk about that later because I hate doing that point. It's coming up this February. Yeah, oh, as you say, Chris, you heard it here first. Yeah, as you say, something needs to be done. It's nice to see something being done differently because yeah. uh, there's no point spending the same amount of money doing the same stuff because that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? Well, yeah, we're spinning our wheels. I, I, are they qualified to recognize insanity? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd also like to see some degree. I mean, somebody else I saw on Twitter said, oh, the doctors' uh, associations, everybody will be upset too. And I'm not sure about that. It's not like they're short. They're not going to suddenly have a gap and spare time happening if this happens. I mean, there's going to be plenty of demand for their services. And maybe there'll be even a little bit of an element of competition. One of the things I saw down in the States when I was working in Hobbs, New Mexico, awful dusty spot on the Texas, New Mexico border. But there was a billboard for a hospital. It had a digital bottom and it gave the emergency wait time for the room at that hospital. Really? It was them saying, if you're driving into town, you need something. Hey, it's six minutes right now. Or it's 18. Maybe go to the other one. But they're trying to say, hey, we've got good service. Come on in. And... Uh, now, we're not going to get to the point of private hospitals advertising, putting billboards up up here, but seeing more alternatives for people to choose from, I can only see that reducing some of the wait times for more of the, the immediate acute care. Agreed. Yeah, no issue there. So, one of the, you know, one of the things that is curious, though, is I wonder why recent medical grants are not interested in going into family medicine. Do you have a theory? No, you got a theory I, on everything. I do on lots of things. That one I don't. It's getting outside of my scope finally there. So. Only maybe I could think of is that the you know specialties pay more. 
I don't, I don't know, maybe just calling it family medicine as opposed to general practice even is, uh, like it sort of diminishes it. And people say, oh, I don't want to do family medicine. I want to be a surgeon. You know, that's, uh, is there any element of that it's to it? different appeal, I and guess, yeah, in the generalism. Kind of interchangeable with a nurse practitioner. I don't know whether that's going to make people more anxious to... Uh, to participate or not? I don't know. I mean, again, if that covers some of that general practitioner with the, the, the uh, nurse practitioners, it does because we're short of specialists. We certainly are. Yeah. That's when you really get into those weights, you know, uh, when you want to see a urologist or a cardiologist or some of those uh, specialized. I mean, you can be six months, a year or more, depending on what you need. The nurse practitioner will see you now, Corey. Well, great. And who knows, as you say, with that gender difference, maybe those prostate exams will be a little more... Uh, oh, no, 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 Move along then, that's uh, as far as we need to go there. On to something still in poor taste, and that's the Human Rights Commission and one of their gems uh, as usual. It's kind of almost an annual tradition in a lot of ways to uh, have this sort of controversy, Dave. It is. Uh, it was written about uh, by Arlinda Slobodian yesterday, uh, uncovered by Black Clock's uh, reporters. The Human Rights Commission says Christmas is discriminatory and colonialism because we're old white men and say Merry Christmas. You know, it's, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. They're, they're taking a run at Christmas. They're taking a run at um, Easter, obviously the two major religious holidays uh, for Christians, uh, because it's not inclusive enough and because uh, it's, uh, it's um, discriminatory against uh, other faiths and, and people. Uh, just before Nigel explodes here, I just want to read one thing from, from Polling Canada. This was a an interesting poll they did actually last year, December 11th, 2022. And they asked people, they asked people who grew up as non-Christians, uh, are you offended when people greet you with Merry Christmas? 92% said, no, they're not offended. 8% uh, said they were offended. So again, this is, it's, it's not really an issue that the Human Rights Commission has seemed to jump on and and explode six weeks before Christmas. I mean, it's, as you say, Corey, it's an annual mess. They, yeah, they tend to drop upon us. It's usually somewhere taking out a nativity scene or pulling out or saying we can't call it a Christmas uh -huh. tree in a place. It, it, the absurdity. But now we've got a, a government-funded agency that has delved into this. I mean, what, what a remedy are they proposing, too? Well, they're not proposing anything at the moment. It's a statement. It's a policy paper. So... The danger of these things is that um, other government agencies take that as a as a signal, and then will will move in a way that people who admire and like Christmas won't appreciate. Um, Christmas isn't going anywhere for two reasons. One is that people who believe in the gospel story are not going to let it go anywhere, and the other reason is that uh, the entire economy depends upon. You know, starting Black Friday and going through the, the New Year sales, that month of which, of which, Christmas is the lynch point, is what makes the year. If you are in small business, you're selling whatever retail. Uh, Christmas is if you don't make it, then you're not going to make it in the rest of the year. So there is going to be a period of celebration in the middle of. December, and they can call it the Saturnalia if they want to go back to basics. 
because some people say that the Christians just appropriated that Roman holiday, called, changed the name, and nothing changed. So that could happen. But Christmas is not going anywhere. But I, I think these people are crazy. I also think they're malicious. But I am not anxious about the occasion. No, I, mean, I mean, from a secular viewpoint, you know, it, it's it's a part of the culture. It's gone beyond religion to a whole lot of people. It's just part of something that's huge in North America and Europe. Uh, as part of a season, a long, dark yeah. winter, short days. We got things to look forward to. We got Christmas parties to look forward to. We've got, you know, perhaps gifts exchanges if you want to take part in it, a meal, or even just a couple of days off. But it's it's a season, and again, if people can set aside their hangups, it's a, most people look forward to it, and enjoy it, whether they're people of faith or not. Yeah, all the women here are looking forward to doing a gift exchange with you, Corey. I mean, what what your magic is, but. Well, uh, Anyway, they don't understand all, how cheap I really am. all apparently talking about getting edible underwear. <laughs> all those things well, don't you go where he's already yeah. gone. Look, um, I think the point. I think their point was that in the just to be serious for about five seconds mm -hmm. is that they said, "Well, look, Christmas is a religious holiday, and it's the only religious holiday that is recognized in the Canadian calendar. Like, you don't get days off for Ramadan. You don't get days off for well, you do for Easter. For Easter, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm." Yeah. I'm reciting from what they said, yeah, but you yeah. know, uh, th this is so. Yeah, you're right. But so, but again, I, I mean, this is just more evidence of how Christianity has hijacked the calendar in their eyes, and that is discriminatory, and it's worse than discriminatory because it's sort of white people as though black people and brown people never, and Chinese people never go Christmas shopping and give each other gifts mm -hmm. at Christmas and actually believe in Christmas. It's As Corey said, even if you don't believe in Christmas, even if you're not a Christian, you, you can still use the season to have a couple Absolutely. extra days off. You, get, you can get your family together yeah. and, and, well, and celebrate yeah. whatever, you, you know. And so nobody, there's not anybody that doesn't benefit from the Christmas. No, and, and it's, it's evolved to other practices. Like there's a, a Jewish practice, particularly in New York, of going for Chinese food on Christmas Day for supper. And the reason for it was, was way back when things were much more regulated. You couldn't find anything open on Christmas Day. We remember that even up here. But if you were Jewish and you weren't observing, the only other places that were open were Chinese restaurants because they weren't Christian either. So it just turned into, we'll go there. The Chinese now look forward to a large Jewish uh, uh, mm -hmm. turnover. It's just another tradition that's sure it's tied to the Christian holiday originally, but nobody's offended. Nobody's having a bad time. It's always white, liberal, purple-haired busybodies that make these stupid statements. It's nothing to do with the minorities or people of other faiths. No. Yeah, you're so, no, go sorry, ahead. no, go ahead. No, you're so right when you said that 90% of people are not offended. 92%, I think it was your number. And, uh, it, it's like you say, it's um, white, liberal atheists who actually turn you down and try to get you cancelled when you... When you uh, put up a Christmas tree or... Yeah, but you see there's white libertarian atheists like me. I have no problem with it. I don't feel insecure so much that if somebody wishes me Merry Christmas or Happy Ramadan or anything like that, that it's, it's, it's offending my... How, how, do you reply? Well, how do you reply if I wish you Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas to you too? Uh -huh. Or thank you. I, I, it's a well wish. I will take it. I appreciate it. It's, you know, wishing me to have a good time. Why, why would I be offended? Yeah. It's, the world needs to lighten up. Big time. <laughs> it's the word. So I still have to get you a present. Uh, well, just check the ticket. Maybe, maybe you drew Michelle. Yeah, that'd be easier for you. Yeah, the secret Santa. We yeah. should re remind everybody. You know, we got a couple of minutes left here. I mean, a great gift you can give people is the gift of independent media. 
And uh, <laughs> this, this is the time to remind people, no, this, we aren't taking those no, bailouts, guys. We right. rely on you subscribers. So I'm going to kind of nag you. And, you know, this isn't this is another idea for something you can do. There's nothing wrong with that. Buy a subscription for the standard on behalf of somebody else. They can have their login and their email. And, How much and, is a subscription? Well, Sorry. since you happen to be asking, <laughs> hey, it's $10 a month or $99 for a year. I mean, talk about a great good deal. volume discount. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just the price of an old newspaper, isn't it? That's right. You don't have that pile of newspapers to get rid of later we on. Are, we are environmentally friendly. It is a, a, a and, digital you, product. And if you've got a favorite uncle who loves the liberals and the left wing, Get him a subscription that show him you know, the error of his ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to set off the purple-haired person who hates Christmas, a card with the receipt showing, I have bought a subscription with the system standard on behalf of you. Merry Christmas. May, you know, my blessings. Come on, have fun with it, guys. And it helps us. I mean, I'm, I'm only being half-joking with this. You know, this is a good time. It's a potential gift. Uh, it's the digital world. I mean, you should still go out shopping or handcraft something for somebody or whatnot, but a, a standard subscription won't hurt either. Nope. And hey, and uh, hey, you can't even go for, you can't even go to the movies for what you pay for a yeah, ten bucks. I, I think movie is pretty much fifteen dollars. Oh, Popcorn's more than that. Crazy, yeah. They make their money out of the, the popcorn experience. The theaters have really gotten great with those lounge chairs and things where you can make a whole night of it now. Though, but, but it's expensive. It's oh, like it is more it's, than twenty bucks for one of those seats, and ten bucks a beer, and uh, fifteen bucks for a popcorn. It's uh, it's, it's nothing you, know, you can do often on an independent media member budget. So hey, we we accept gifts too. If you want to send movie passes our way, <laughs> yeah, really, we, we, we can all use a night out now. Attention, and then, attention landmark cinemas, landmark yeah, cinemas. That one up in on. the northwest is uh, is a great place. Uh, all right. Well, we know in this place nobody's going to be shy from any of that sort of thing. So we will wish people Merry Christmas. And and again, I, if it's Ramadan, anything else, I'm more than happy to take the the, the well wishes and greetings. Well, don't forget Hanukkah. That's coming right. Hanukkah. You should do that. Ah, I know it's coming. I, I'm not good at practicing any religion, uh, despite. <laughs> so you don't have a beanie? What again? Yamaka? The Yamaka? No, I, I bought a Detroit Lions one for my oldest son because uh, he's a Lions fan. It seems to have worked. They're doing well this year. They are. They're likely to make the playoffs. <laughs> we'll see. The Steelers sure aren't going anywhere. Okay. Mm. On that sad note. <laughs> I think we're out of time. So thank you very much, Nigel, Dave, and uh, everybody else for tuning in. Uh, keep watching. We appreciate it. And uh, Merry Christmas in advance. I'll see you next week at this time. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.